It's been a really strange offseason. Vis-a-vis dogs running onto the field. You made it. We're not sabermetricians. That's all behind us now. Yeah, I got in trouble, but it was worth it. It was totally worth it. It was worth it. Totally worth it. Hello, and welcome to what, against all odds, continues to be a Mets podcast, the Flushing Transit Authority. Uh, I am one of your suffering co-host, Jay Bushman, and I'm uh, joined on the on the line by another poor wretch, Will Stegman. How are you holding up there, Will? Outside of the Mets, I'm holding up well. Hello, Jay. How are you? Um, I'm going about as well as the Mets are. Um, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's been pretty. It's been pretty bleak over here at uh, Casa del Bushman these days. And you know, we got a lot to talk about. Actually, let me rephrase that. There's a lot we could talk about. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I I don't even want to think about it. I, I mean, what are we going to say? Like, like, what are we going to what are we going to say that hasn't been said again and again and again and again? The Mets have been historically inept. Historically inept. Yes. Yes. Capital no. H, capital I. It's, yeah, it's, no. it's, it's actually kind of impressive when you think about it. Like, how bad can you be? We're talking like 1962 Casey Stengel Mets. We're talking Cleveland Indians in major league bat. Yeah. I mean, you think about it. You know, let's take the modern era of major league baseball – We've had 118 seasons of, you know, think about how many team seasons have been played and no team has had a run of ineptitude like the Mets have had. It's true that with baseball, you could see something new every day. But not this. I don't want to see this. Like this is just, this is, and I find, I'm like, it's so constant and it's so omnipresent and everybody is so bad that it's like, I don't, I can't, there's nothing even to latch on to. So I find myself getting really preoccupied with peripheral things. Like Mm -hmm. I watch the games mostly on the MLB app, on my television or on my phone. Every single ad break, they show the same four commercials over and over and over again. It gets to the point where like I can recite the commercials along with them. And yes. at a certain point, you got to wonder like, hey, streaming service ad sales departments, you know, the more you do this, the more that you make the customers hate you. <laughs> I, I understand. I'm going to just counter that with one thing. Yeah. As a, I know it's the same ads over and over again, but I'm glad that the MLB app on the radio broadcasts has stopped dropping in commercials for the MLB app over the local commercials. That is good. That is real good. Especially like when they're like, here's a, here's a moment, here's a classic moment. And then they play you a Yankees highlight. Yes. Like I curate my life. So I do not have to ever hear John Sterling's home run call. Right. And then they just come along and screw that up. Yes. It just like, I'm glad that's gone. But you're right. You know, with that repetition, if I'm watching on the app, I'd rather have a black screen. Me too. And so there's, yeah. this, there's this one ad that they run every single ad break on every single Mets game. It's for new era caps. I don't know if you've seen this one. 
I, have, I usually listen to the audio on the on the app and then switch to the TV when I get home. So I haven't seen it. I I have this thing memorized, and the thing about it is I don't understand what any of the words mean. <laughs> okay. It goes like this. I'm going to perform it for you right now. It goes like this. You see, they try to overthrow you, say charge it to the game, but this crown represents something greater than your name. I have no idea what that means. I I don't I know, know the words you were saying. <laughs> like, I understand those words. Yes. But I've never heard them in a context like that. Oh, like, I, I did. Like a made-up series. I did a little research, actually. I went down the rabbit hole, and, and the ad that they show over and over again is actually a cut-down version of a longer ad that they ran during the playoffs last year. Okay. Um, and the person doing the, the, the VO is the legendary rapper Rakim. So you can't say anything bad about Rakim because he's awesome. Yeah, but if yeah. you watch the long version, it makes a little more sense, but they have cut it up into this like word salad. That like it's just nonsense, which would be bad enough, but it's nonsense every single inning break. Yeah, and you know when you're noticing the uh, the ads that way, your team's having a bad year. I got to ask you this, and I I hate to say this because it's June and he's had the job for three months, but has Mickey already lost the clubhouse? I think he's I think he's lost the fans. It's lost something because, um, you know, he comes out there and he says the same thing over and over again, which like, okay, fine. Like what, what is he going to say? But you see stuff like Cespedes's comment about, well, I hope to come back, but if the team keeps playing the way it is, I don't know how much it's going to help. You see Conforto's comment about like, I, you know, being demoted isn't going to help me. And I just, I go back to the thing that he kept saying over and over and over again in spring training when he first got hired in his first few press conferences where he said, this is the quote. We're going to care more about the players than anyone has ever before and let them know they're human beings and individuals. This is going to be a group that feels every day they come to the clubhouse. And that's going to be our main concern is to show them that we know this game is difficult and we're going to care about you as a player, a human being, and in your personal life. Does it feel like that's happening? Well, it doesn't. But in the context of managing a baseball team, what does that mean necessarily? Oh, no. like, I, I look at that and I feel like, hey, you know what? If I went, if I got a new boss and they said that to me, well, I'd feel fine. Great. And then I would just go about doing my job. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, like every boss I've ever had over the last 15 years had, has said to me words to that effect. Has said like, hey, we have a job to do. Um, but this is not, you know, life and death, but we're going to, we're going to work hard while we're here and we're going to have a, you know, a quality work-life balance. And I know we all have lives and I'm flexible, you know, you need to take time off to go do something, whatever. I've always been told those things. Mm-hmm. It is never a single time really impacted my work day. No. Yeah. So when you say that in spring training, we don't, in a press conference, what do you? What does that even mean? It's an it's an empty, it's it's kind of an just a, a placeholder. It's a thing everybody says, but nobody really does anything with. Yeah, it's 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 kind of mystifying. Uh, everything is mystifying about this team right now. Like, I mean, is there a hex? 
is there, do we need to get like some Wiccans in to, you know, sage city field or something? Like I, I, I'll listen to anything at this point. I, this is, you know, we've been through a number of years in recent memory last year, for example, mm-hmm. where you start out with high hopes and it just goes down the drain and it's inexplicable. It's yeah. like everything that can go wrong is going wrong. Yeah. And this it's funny. year, yeah, go ahead. This year feels different. It just does. And maybe it's because we thought we got a, a sort of a new, um, you know, a new regime with, you know, both Terry Collins and his staff and the training staff gone. But what this tells me, and I'm, I think this may be the direction you're going, is that the problem is at the very top. The problem goes deep. And, uh, and that's kind of where I wanted to start today with, um, I don't know if you saw the, the epic uh, article that Good Fundies put together last oh, week. I did. I, I, first of all, love the podcast. Mm-hmm. I love a lot of the, I love the sort of peripheral stuff they do both on Twitter, um, what they do on Instagram is terrific. And yes, the article that they put out sort of basically outlining in great detail the Mets ownership, Mets management's just shooting themselves in the foot over and over again um, was amazing. It's it, it, it was sort of reading. like the definitely all, something we should talk about. It was, it was sort of like the all the president's men of the Mets franchise, just sort of like laying out just piece after piece, fact after fact, not even with any opinion or, or you know, angst or fulminating, just this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Day in, day out, year in, year out, the rot is coming from the top. Yes. And, and yeah, and I think where I, I think where you and I and I think where a lot of the fan base is, and, and and to be fair, like this isn't new, like, but it's picked up speed in the last year or two, I think, is this sense that nothing is ever gonna change as long as the Will Ponds own this team. I, uh, I'm sad to say that you're right. You know, I'd always thought that the team could win despite the Will Ponds. And this is the thing that I've been thinking a lot about this week, this, this sort of sense that it's hard to feel at this moment that anything is going to change until ownership does. But the thing about sports team ownership is it is not a merit-based position. Like, you don't achieve that. There's only one thing that determines your ability to be a, a, a sports team owner, and that's money. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that's not true. There are two things. There's money, and actually, in some ways, even more important than money. Money gets you in the door, but what keeps you there is influence. And we all remember the stories about how when Bud Selig was the commissioner, he protected the Will Ponds over and over again, like going so far as to approve a secret loan to cover some of their uh, Ponzi scheme losses, right? Yeah, so with the Mets, just the real like the ta- the tagline for this all the presidents Mets, <laughs> yeah, yeah, is is follow the no money, follow the la- the, the the lack of money, yeah. but but they have, but even when they don't have the money, they have influence, and the these years of relationships with other billionaire owners that protect them, and and. 
this is the place where I, I find myself today. Like, yes, we all want the Will Ponds to go, but you know, when it comes to to billionaires, you, I have to to ask, who do we want them to sell with, to, to sell to? Like, is there a, a billion out there that would be better, or just differently awful? And and that this is not a problem that is confined to our sad sports franchise. It sort of seems like. The solution to every problem in our country right now is get a billionaire to save us. You know, <laughs> like like people are writing letters to Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, these personal appeals to, you know, save X cherished thing. And it seems like that's the only thing we have to solve things Yes, across our society. And, you know, what it brings me to is, and I, I never thought I would get this way with baseball. Um you know, I got I got there with the NFL. At some point, I said to myself, "Do I want to support an, an organization that just props up the wealth of a small group of people um, who hold a disproportionate sort of um, uh, portion of wealth and use that in ways that I feel are negative?" The NFL. There's obviously um, there have been so many issues over the last couple of years between the concussions between uh, collusion against players who protest police brutality um, to the just the way that they oversaturate their product, which is, which is, again, on the scale of bad things, so much lower than the other things, but it's just, it's piling on. And I got to the point where I could no longer support that organization. Yeah. And as I look at the Will Ponds and I look at the, the old boy network that has been running baseball for a hundred years and the way they work and protect one another um, and the way they're very careful about who they let in and prop people up like the Wilpons because you don't want to bring somebody else in who's not part of your network. Because what we find is there is a limited number of incredibly wealthy people who not only have the funds to purchase a major league baseball team, but have the, basically have the flexibility to lose money and to spend money to hopefully make money down the line. I'm not saying that anybody's losing money on a major league baseball team, but you know, you got to spend money to make money. So let's look at a couple of those people, because if you'll remember a few years ago, after MLB finally said they had to shut off the open line of credit to the Wilpons, um, there was speculation for a short period that they would have to sell uh, a large chunk, maybe even a majority of team control to bail themselves out. And there were some names that were mentioned as possibilities. One was uh, David Einhorn, mm-hmm. who's a hedge fund manager. Um, another uh, was James McCann, the founder of 1-800-Flowers, who was being sued for fraud at the time. So, you know, he'd fit right in. Right. Um, McCann eventually bought one of the minority shares that they sold, as did, and I, you know, I'd forgotten this. You know who else bought one of these minority shares? Bill Maher, if you can believe that. Really? Ugh. Yes. Another one of these minority shares was bought by a guy named Steve Cohn, who had the title The Hedge Fund King. So, like, when you're looking at, like, uh, uh, the story about who, if if the Wilpons were going to sell a majority of a control of the team, Steve Cohen was often listed as the likeliest candidate. He okay, grew up I remember fan. his name, yeah. 
He's something like the 30th richest person in America. And a few years after he bought his minority stake, he was brought up on charges of insider trading. His hedge fund collapsed and he had his license to manage money revoked. Uh, he got hmm. to keep all the money though. That's you know, right. like good for him. So Cone is one of the models for the character Bobby Axe Axelrod, the ruthless billionaire hedge fund manager who's one of the leads of the Cracker Jack Showtime series Billions. I don't, I don't know if you watch Billions at all. I do. I, I love it. It's a I've lot of I've seen the, the pilot and I have yeah. not gotten back to watch the rest. He's played by Damian Lewis and, okay. and there's a lot of scenery chewing and there's a lot of – it's Billions is a New York show and it is stuffed to the gills full of references to music and food and pop culture and all this fun stuff. So Billions had its third season finale last Sunday night and it featured this huge event where uh, hedge fund managers pitched their funds to potential investors, and there were the, the literal titular billions of dollars were at stake. And where was the location of this event? It was filmed at City Field. The show <laughs> rented the space out. They, they probably did it last October, because you know the Mets certainly weren't using it at the time. Um, Keith Hernandez even bump. made a cameo. Um, although he's in the background of a scene and he says nothing. So I'm guessing that like, he had a scene and that bit got cut for time yeah. or whatever. But um, but Axe and his crew, like they are hugely entertaining to watch, especially um, the actor David Costable, who plays Wags. Axe's hedonistic, scene-stealing majordomo is, is just having an enormous amount of fun. But as fun as it is to watch these guys on a television show, you watch it and you have to ask yourself, are these kinds of ruthless, faithless, Money drunk pirates, the kind of people that would be an improvement over the Fred and Jeff show. Right. Or are they just different flavors of corrupt and self aggrandizing crookery? And I ask myself, again, the same way that I got to the, you know, NFL, at some point I'm gonna have to ask myself the same questions about Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. And I don't like what the answers are going to be. Yeah. 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 Now on this show, Billions, Axe's nemesis is the U.S. District Attorney, Chuck Rhodes. And Chuck will shred rules and ethics and laws to bring Axe down, no matter what the cost is. And Chuck is played with Shakespearean gravitas and Rothian self-loathing by the amazing Paul Giamatti. Of course, he is the son of baseball's last moral man, the late great Commissioner Bart Giamatti. Mm-hmm. And Chuck's storylines see him enmeshed in the world of New York state power politics, where deals are cut and decisions are made and billions are transferred through the backroom deals among a whole network of chummy old white men. Chuck's world is rife with fixers and power brokers and influence peddlers, scratching backs, currying favors, making deals. And as a Mets fan watching Billions, it's hard not to see Chuck's world as the world of the Wilpons. I wouldn't be shocked to see Fred make a cameo as a member of this gentleman's club that uh, Chuck's manipulative father belongs to. Right. Um, Unfortunately for all of us, the rest of the world is getting quite familiar with this cozy, chummy world because it's where the asshat and chief comes from. Right. And who is it that we are now seeing twisting in the wind, turning state's evidence and flipping on their bosses, but people like Michael Cohen and Paul Manafort, people who, in a two-word phrase, you could describe these people as connected lawyers. Mm -hmm. Now, New York has always been run 
by connected lawyers as far back as the days of Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. But in New York's long history of connected lawyers, in the 20th century, there are two names that sit atop that list. One of them is the execrable Roy Cohn, the, the guy who trained much of our current shitty band of mandarins. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other name at the top of that list of the most powerful, most connected New York lawyers of the 20th century is William Shea. That name now, sounds familiar. In Met's lore, we always hear it, we always read it like it's a fairy tale, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there was no National League Baseball, and the city was sad. And lo, the mayor did ask humble lawyer Bill Shea to see what he could do. And Shea had a grand scheme to make a new league, the Continental League, but nobody thought it was serious. And so baseball agreed to make two new teams, and the Mets were born. And everyone was so happy and thankful to the kindly Mr. Shea, so they named a stadium after him. But answer me this. Was there ever a large stadium anywhere, ever, named after the lawyer who brokered the deal. The politician who approved it, the rich person who put up the money, the corporation who bought the naming rights, sure, but we, we are the only ones who had a stadium named after a connected lawyer. Firstly, I've been a Mets fan my whole life, and I never questioned why the stadium was was named for a lawyer. Like, right. it, it was always just like, oh, he was the guy who founded the Mets. Yeah. Except he didn't. He didn't put the money up. Right. So listen, this is this is from 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 uh, William Shea's Wikipedia page. Let me read this quote. All right. Shea was neither a litigator nor a legal scholar. Rather, he was the sort of lawyer whom powerful men trusted with their secrets and whom they could rely upon as a go-between. Yeah, that sounds totally above board, right? I, I can't believe, like, Jay, you're, this is like you're telling me the tooth fairy doesn't exist. He's, and, you know who he was? He was Tom Hagen from The Godfather. I guess, yeah. yeah. This, is who, this is where our team, our entire franchise comes from. Now, there is, I found this New York Magazine article from 1976, and it lists the Che as one of the 10 most, and this is the phrase, invisibly powerful people in New York City. <laughs> now, incidentally, that argue, that article was written by uh, the journalist Ken Aletta. And Ken Aletta was just interviewed on a recent episode of one of my favorite podcasts, The Moment, from Brian Koppelman. Brian Koppelman is one of the creators and showrunners of Billions. So it's all connected. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, knowing what we know now, about New York, how can how about how New York connected lawyers work? Whether in the fictional version of Billions or in the treasonous back rooms making deals with the Russians to steal elections, how can any of us believe that William Shea wasn't up to his eyeballs in all kinds of nasty, nasty, nasty stuff? And I am desperately looking for the unauthorized Shea biography. I bet it is full of juicy horrible, harrowing stuff. So, I mean, I just, where I end up with here is perhaps for us long-suffering Mets fans, the Wilpons are just the latest manifestation of our original sin. Maybe we deserve them. Maybe we deserve mediocre, corrupt, real estate scammers running our team and our state and our nation. And worse, maybe that's all we've ever had. 
you know, for the first time, we've been doing this for a while, and I've known you for a decade. <laughs> you have left me as close to speechless <laughs> as I'm ever going to get. I am Which is great for a podcast. I'm here just like, well, I'm going to just press send on this because... <laughs> You know, it's just it's it's you know we we're in a moment in American history, not just Mets franchise history, but in American history where we all got to take a hard look in the mirror, and you know ask who we are, and where we come from, and what our real history is, and and some of those answers are ugly, and I think that there's got to be something to this because think about it, other than what you can find on Wikipedia. You know nothing about Bill Shea. No, He's no. never mentioned in anything. Like I've read, you know, I've well, I've, I've skimmed the Power Broker. <laughs> I haven't completely read it, mm-hmm. but I've read enough about the history of New York City, and you hear his name mentioned around the Mets and nothing else. Yeah. So where did he come from? Who was he? Like you know, was Bill Shea Michael Cohen? Um, wow, it's just, it, it's mind-blowing. And we just, you know, I, look, I'm, we're not wealthy people. And it's a world that we will never, we will never know. Um, and it's just fascinating to think, like, there's a baseball team that generations of fans have followed, and we obsess over it, and we sit here and talk about it and record it and give those conversations to other people all because powerful people 60 years ago decided that they were going to do this. I mean, how do you think uh, Chipper Jones feels about naming his, you know, his kid after this guy? Like, (laughs) what the heck? That's true. I, you know, I have met a couple of people who have used Shay as a middle name for a kid. And again, you know what? Our love of the name Shay has everything to do with the stadium and the Mets. And, you know, sure, it had somebody's name on it. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that this is like we named it, you know, Stalin Stadium or something <laughs> like that. But yeah, at a time where we are looking at sort of who we are and mm. not just who we are, but like, who do we like? Who do we identify with? Who do we root for? And, you know, we've spent a lot of time um, as sports fans and as members of society sort of cheering on the powerful mm-hmm. and, and, and like, yay, like, boy, Amazon, I hope Amazon opens their, you know, their distribution center or their headquarters in our town. Yeah. And, you know, I, I hope that, you know, the, the Hyperloop gets – we're, we're, are we rooting for the wrong people? Not just in terms of teams, but in terms of like, who do we back? Yeah. Who do we put our faith in? And like you said, you know, people are writing to millionaires, asking them to help them. Um, I don't have a solution. You know, I, I wish I knew how to solve the, the, the inequalities in society. I try to, to help where I can, but I don't have an answer. And you know, are we, this is bigger than any baseball podcast, but just do we like, you're bringing up the question of, do we need a fundamental societal change? And that's a bigger question than I can answer. 
I, which is why it's probably safe for us to just to stick to discussing how the Mets should just release Jose Reyes. That's yeah, I think your problem to solve. Yeah, you just have me going down a rabbit hole of how do we solve yeah. the world's problems? Because yeah. quite frankly, the world's problems seem just slightly more daunting than how can the Mets score yes. maybe four runs in a game. Yeah. Yeah. So it's easier to it's easier to obsess about that. You know, that I, it, uh, to all this other stuff. But I am desperately seeking and if anybody who is listening ha- knows anything about like like the unauthorized biography of William Shea, like I that's a book I want to read and we'll we'll include in the show notes. I found a couple of articles just sort of random articles from the New York Times over the year that mention him as if we all already know who he is and you mm-hmm. get these little tantalizing hints of this powerful, powerful person that nobody knows. And, you know, whether or not he's Michael Cohn or Tom Hagen or Michael Clayton or some other, you know, connected lawyer character from some movie or book somewhere, um, it's a part of our history that that I, I'm just keenly interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely something now that I'd like to know. It's a rabbit hole that I would like to go into more than I would like to go into asking uh, why Jose Batista is on the team, why Jose Reyes is still on the team. Why nobody uh, can get a damn hit. Yes. And <laughs> I just figure like the Mets enter the seventh inning of every game now with zero hits and uh, you hope for the best. Yeah. Um, you know, last night, I, I sorry, yesterday afternoon, I um, like I got my hopes up in, in the ninth inning. They go they go into the ninth, they're down, they put some runners on base. You're like, oh, maybe they can pull this out, maybe. And like a sucker, of course, I'm listening. They don't, and I just decide say to myself, I don't think I want to watch a game again this year. This is yeah. this. and of course, I'll you know, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to turn my laptop <laughs> off. And what I'm thinking right now is, hey, I'm going to miss first pitch. Why? Why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> uh, we're we're gluttons for punishment. Yeah, we are. They may be terrible and awful, and from a corrupt backroom garbage history, but it's they're our corrupt backroom garbage. I history. guess. So to try to maybe put a look, there's just not a lot of good things to talk about. So no. let me ask you a question as we sure. sort of. Um, look towards what we now think is going to be a lost season. Mm-hmm. What are you looking forward to? Who, let, me, let me phrase that better. Yeah. Who are you still tuning in to watch? Well, you have to tune in to watch DeGrom because one of these days he's just going to decide, I need to pitch a perfect game in order to win, and, he's, and he'll do it. <laughs> um, just yeah. in this... this um, this moment of just brilliance that if anybody could get a damn hit, he'd have like 11 wins. Yes. Um, um, I, I, the pitching has actually been pretty good. Um, watching Zach Wheeler uh, take a step, watching Steven Matt seem to, to put it together. Um, watching Seth Lugo remind everybody that he's Seth Lugo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we knew this, um, but you know, it's few and far between like they're just so they look so lost and they look so bored and and i just don't get it so i'll tell you i'll tell you where i find my my head going these days and you know there there's been a lot of talk over the last 
week or so about whether or not the Mets should just cut bait and trade everyone and just rebuild from the ground up. And, and I, I, I honestly don't have any feelings about that. Like, because I don't, at this point, I don't feel like either route would work because it's still the wheel ponds at the top and they're not going to write the checks to get the stuff done that needs to get done. What I do find myself thinking about is that every so often, and we're just going into another, another period of this, every so often you, there's this bubbling conversation about radically changing the way that baseball functions. And there was another set of articles this week around the meeting of the competition committee right. to discuss changes. And some old ideas have come back around again. And there's one idea in particular that I have been a diehard opponent of for as long as I can remember. And that's putting the DH in both leagues. And I got to tell you, I don't know if I care anymore. Well, I talked I, myself into being okay with the DH in both leagues. It took me a long time. And I was anti-DH for a very long time. And I finally came around by taking the long historic view, mm-hmm. which was when sort of when the game, the, the role of the pitcher has changed so significantly mm-hmm. from its, uh, not only its initial intention. I mean, you know, the idea of it being called a pitcher is because they just sort of tossed the ball up there. But, you know, the idea, the idea of the pitcher as, again, somebody who's, who's there to complete a game is so far out of what pitchers are used for now. Mm-hmm. It just it yeah. makes sense. Take the, take the strategy out of it. Look, I don't love the bunt. I don't like I, – I think bunts waste outs. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's necessary. This, take this from somebody who the other night – went to Dodger Stadium because Bartolo Colon was playing <laughs> in a National League park. Yes. I, I went to see Bartolo Colon bat, but you know what? When Bartolo retires, take pitchers batting with him. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's one thing that I, I have found that I, I was surprised and that I sort of looked mm-hmm. inward and I realized that I don't care anymore. Right. And, and I don't really understand why, but I just don't. The other, the other thing that's come back around again is the concept of radical realignment, which when they first brought this up about 15 years ago, um, I hated, 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 hated. And now I'm like, all right, go for it. And this would, you know, if, if for anyone who's not familiar with this idea, radical realignment would add two teams. So we'd go to 32 teams and they would be divided into eight divisions of four teams the American and National League would be done away with, and these leagues, would, these divisions would be reorganized around geography. Right. And, uh, and along with that, they would shrink the season to 154 games. They would add another round of playoffs, and teams would play more games against teams in their division, and that would mean less travel, and less travel would mean less injuries. And... I honestly don't have a problem with this idea anymore, except for one thing, which is in every proposed version of radical realignment, the Mets and the Yankees would be in the same division. And if they did that, I think I would quit watching baseball. Well, that's exactly why it's not going to happen. Yeah. Because the Yankees love them or hate them. And you know how I feel. Um, The Yankees are the marquee franchise of major league baseball. Mm -hmm. And 
the Yankees, if they were to lower themselves to be in the same division as the Mets, they would see that as um, literally someone not in their league. Yeah. The Yankees will block radical realignment. There's a version of, of the plan in which the Yankees and the Red Sox stay in the same division and the Mets and the Phillies are stay in the same division division and they're not in the same division. Mm-hmm. And like if they would do that, there's there's a logic in the plans to all the radical realignment uh, ideas that seem to think, oh, put the te- put the teams that are in the same city in the same division. Mm-hmm. No, you don't want the Dodgers and the Angels in the same division. You know, like like nobody wants that. You don't want the Giants and the A's in the same division. Like you want them side by side in separate groups. Right, because you want to preserve the idea of, hey, they could meet in the World Series. But if they were to do that, if they were to come up with a way to do radical realignment and guarantee that the Mets and the Yankees were not going to be in the same division, I say go for it. So who are the other three teams in the division with the Mets? Uh, It would be, if memory serves, it would be Philadelphia, um, Pittsburgh, no, not Pittsburgh, Washington, and one of the they, they have to propose adding two expansion teams Got in it. order to make this work. And so the ones that they are talking about, one of the places they're talking about is uh, Virginia, Norfolk, okay. um, and um, Portland is the other one. Okay, it would be in a in a in a division with Seattle. Got um, it. I don't. I you know what? I'll dig up the link to the uh, to the article and we can put it in the show notes. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I just. And maybe it's just a sign of just how how disenchanted I've become in the just in the past two weeks. Because if you'll remember two weeks ago, I was still the voice of positivity. And mm-hmm. in the past two weeks, it's just like torch it all, burn yeah, it all down. I'm with let's, you. let's salt the earth and start over from scratch. I totally I totally hear you. Yeah. I, I'm just at a point with the team where I'm more interested in these competition committee type things. Um because, oh, like that's something I can read about where I'm reading about baseball and like I'm thinking about it and having a good time and not thinking about the Mets. Although I can tell from getting some Twitter alerts, apparently, uh, apparently they've put a run on the board. A run. A apparently, run. they've What's put that? a run on the board. What is a run? I'm not it's, familiar with this concept of a run. It's a thing that makes your, your, your score, I think it's called. Go from mm. zero to one, but it's okay because you can do that. You can go from zero to one. I did not know that was possible. <laughs> but hey, don't worry. We've got Jason Vargas on the mound. It's not oh, going to wow. last. It appears <laughs> Brendan Nimmo let off the game with a home run. Oh, one of the few things, few bright spots, is Brendan Nimmo. Brendan Nimmo is a guy that I am tuning in for. Um, you know what? I've been tuning in a lot more. And watching Ahmed Rosario's at bats, um, I will when I put the TV on. Hope that to see Dominic Smith. I did like the things that he had to say about how he feels he's matured as a player. Um, but really, at this point, I'm just hoping. Let's just get down to it. I hope that they win some games because everything else is just a grind. Like there just are no moral victories left. Um, there are no moral victories. There are no actual victories. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. But a short, yeah. like, I, I worry that Jacob deGrom is going to be the first player to 
again, pitch a perfect game and somehow lose. Yep. You know? I, I would not be shocked. It's He's amazing. And at this point, you know, I've been far against, you know, I've been so strongly against the idea of Jacob DeGrom getting traded. I'm of a mind now where, you know, he deserves to be traded for his own sake. Like, fly free. Yeah. I, I want to get you to a family who will love you. We, can, yeah. we can't take care of you. And it's like, I want to give Jake a better home. Yeah. You know, and then where does he go? Who knows? I, it's, I don't know why this is not the Bronx. I don't care. I don't know why this year is killing me more than any of the years of the, the late Bobby Valentine era, the Art Howe era, the Jerry Manuel era. It is different this year. It there is. is, there is a difference here. And, 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 there's no sense in denying it. And maybe it's because the world feels like such a grind that mm-hmm. um, we're just piling on by losing by losing ball games. But they're not just losing ball games. They this is like a historically inept period. Yeah, and you know, it's just it's just excruciating how every day they find another way. Not just to lose, but to be embarrassed. Yeah. I I hear you. All right. We should we, probably, uh, on this uh, cheery note, we should yeah. probably uh, bring us to the close. I think actually a good a good, a good way, a good place to end this is um, on that show, Billions, there is this great character, um, an Albany kingmaker, who goes by the name of Black Jack Foley. And Black Jack Foley is played by the wonderful character actor David Strathairn. Uh, Strathairn was nominated for an Oscar uh, years ago for playing Edward R. Murrow. And so it only feels fitting to close this depressing um, this depressing session with Murrow's famous line that gave that movie its title. Good night and good luck. We're all going to need it. Yeah. That last part wasn't Murrow's, I added. Well, you know, they, they, do, they always cut him off before, before he could say that. <laughs> yeah, Murrow never said, like, good night, good luck. Come on, Mets. Put some runs on the board. <laughs> so maybe tonight will be the night. All maybe right. Shall we wrap it up? Let's wrap it up uh, until next time. Hey, maybe next time they by next time they will have won a game or two. You never know. You know, I'm going to be in New York this weekend, and while the Mets will not uh, be in town, and normally I would be upset about that, but this week I'm kind of relieved. Um, a bullet. But I'm also happy that like people who I would normally get together with and say, "Hey, let's watch the game," like I, they're going to have other plans. I don't have to be. I don't have to feel guilty that I'm going to be busy with other things and I can't see everybody I want to see because nobody's going to be watching the Mets. Nope. Uh, all right. You know what? Let's wrap this up and let everybody listening get on with their lives, like we'd like to do. <laughs> Listeners, thank you very much for sticking with us through this therapy session we've gone through. And, and uh, if you enjoy utter total pessimism about the fate of the New York Mets franchise, don't forget to like share and review this podcast on pretty much anything you could just you know write it on the sidewalk that would be fine skywriting is a, is a good yep. one um we'll take whatever tell your therapist about flushing transit authority and as we like to say here we will see you next time at the baseball movies <laughs>